Well, I join the others in welcoming you here today. I'm glad you're here. We've got a lot of people out today. I don't know if they heard I was speaking and left for that or what, but anyway, I'm glad you're here. And I'm especially glad to have my family here, my son Chris and his wife Kelly, and my, the two best grandchildren anybody could ever have, Sophie and Chase. And so we're so glad that you're here today, and uh, I'm glad that all of you are here. And I just pray that you came praying for God to speak to your heart, and if you did, He will. And I want to begin by asking you a question this morning, let you think about it during the message today. And that question is, are you an encourager? And that is the title of my message as well. And our uh, scripture will be from Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 34, and we'll read that shortly. But to me, encouragement is one of the greatest needs we have today. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who are hurting, who, who need someone just to come alongside them and say, I love you, I'm praying for you, I'm here for you. Uh, I believe it's one of our greatest needs. And one of the things I noticed up uh, one of our first weeks here at this church is what an encouraging church as a whole we are. Uh, you have the ministry to the uh, homeless, and you don't just go hand out bags to them. You talk to them, you listen to them. And many times you come back with prayer requests that they've shared with you. Uh, well, you know that there are people who have uh, prison and, and jail ministries out of this church. And that means a lot that you're encouraging people who are hurting and who are having problems. And other ministries that we learned real early that our people are involved in. You are encouragers. But are you as an individual an encourager? Uh, it's important that we encourage each other. We don't ever know what people sitting right around here this morning are going through. A news article came across my desk about five years ago. It was about a young man named Andrew Stockline. And Andrew was 30 years old. He was married. He had three young boys. And he was the pastor of a church. Not a small uh, neighborhood church like ours, but it was a mega church. They had 40 paid staff members. He, it took 800 volunteers every week to carry on the ministry of this church. And as I saw that, I thought, man, this, this guy has everything in the world going for him. I mean, to pastor a church like that, I mean, he can sit back and relax, you know, let everybody else do the work and all this. And I thought, he's, he's got it made. But on August the 25th of 2018, uh, Andrew walked into the church office, closed the door, and committed suicide. And that really bothered me, that, that someone that on the outside appeared to have everything together reached this point. And so I went on the, the website of the church and watched the last message that he preached five days before he committed suicide. And you would never have known anything was wrong Anything was going on with this guy that gave him problems. He uh, communicated with his audience, with his congregation. It was like they were hanging on every word that he said. He just delivered one of the best messages I've ever heard. But five days later, he killed himself. And as I watched him preach that message that day in my office, I wondered if his church 
was made up of encouragers. I wondered how often people went to him and encouraged him or if they expected him to do all the encouraging. And I wondered in, in all those thousands of people, wasn't there one person that he could have turned to that would have made a difference? And it helped me to determine at that point in my life that I was going to do more encouraging than discouraging. And I, I think, I, I hope I've lived up to that. But my challenge to us this morning is to be encouragers and not discouragers. And for the next few minutes, we're going to look at someone in Scripture who was known as an encourager. Our text is from Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 34. The Bible says, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let us pray together. Father, you know our needs today, and you know each person who's here. And Father, we pray that you will speak to each one of us. I pray that you will draw us closer to yourself. And Lord, you heard the prayer requests this morning. We lay them before you and pray that thy will be done in each situation. We pray now that you will help us to close out everything from the outside and our plans for the afternoon and, and later in the week, Lord, and just concentrate on what you have for us today. And Lord, if there's anything in my life that would prevent me from proclaiming your word with boldness and the way you would have me to ask you now to forgive me and help me, Lord, as I speak, that all that I say and do might be pleasing to you. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here was a man, his name was Joseph, but the apostles called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was an encourager. And as we read through the book, I don't know what I did, <laughs> but we, uh, we read through the book of Acts and we see two different situations where he showed what an encourager he was. One of them, was the Saul of Tarsus. Now Saul was a very religious man, but he hated Christians. And he felt it was his God-given responsibility to wipe out Christianity from the face of the earth. And he vigorously tried to do that. At this point, he went to the high priest and got permission to go to Damascus and search out all the Christians, arrest them, and bring them back to Jerusalem and have them stand trial for blasphemy. But on the way to Damascus, something happened. On the way to Damascus, Saul met Jesus and his life changed forever. A bright light shone from heaven and it blinded Saul. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul, why are you doing this? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus introduced himself. He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul met Jesus and his life was never the same. He went on to Damascus just like he had planned to do. 
But his goal was different now. He wasn't going to arrest the Christians, but he was going to preach to them and tell them, hey, you're right, Jesus is the Christ. He went to the synagogue and he preached, Jesus is the Son of God. And the people who heard him speak were amazed because they knew how he had persecuted the Christians in Jerusalem. They knew why he had come to Damascus to start with, and they were scared. They had a hard time believing that this was the same man. They were astonished. And the more he preached, the more they accepted and the more scared the Jews, Jewish leaders became. Acts chapter 9, 22 tells us that he grew more and more powerful to the point that he baffled the Jews in Damascus by proving that Jesus was in fact Christ, uh, the Christ. So the Jews got mad. I mean, they were upset. Here was uh, this man who had been so involved in getting rid of the Christians, now he's one of them. And not only is he one of them, he's preaching, and people are coming to know Jesus. And so they get upset, and they decide that they are going to kill him. Well, Saul finds out about it, so he takes off back to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, the first thing he wanted to do was to meet with Peter and the other apostles. But they didn't want to. They said no. They knew that Saul had been present when Stephen was stoned to death. They knew that he had persecuted Christians there in Jerusalem. They knew why he had gone to Damascus. Not only were they skeptical, but they were probably afraid of him. They weren't sure that he had changed, and so they wouldn't meet with him. But there was one Christian, one man who believed him, one person who was willing to take a chance on Saul. He was willing to put his own reputation on the line with the apostles for this man. This man who just a few weeks earlier had been the chief enemy of Christians but this man, this Barnabas, was willing to take a chance. And so he went to bat for him. And as we look at what uh, Saul became, he came, became Paul and a great missionary. He was a church planter. But what if, Paul, what if Barnabas had not cared about him? What if Barnabas had joined the other disciples and said, no, we're not going to have anything to do with you? And I know God could have raised somebody else up, but aren't you glad Barnabas stepped forward and, and said, hey, I believe this man, and look at what he became. And so Barnabas had a real part in the ministry of Paul, and so I'm so thankful for him. But another time that Barnabas showed this quality of encouragement was with a young man named John Mark. John Mark had started the Christian life just really gung-ho. He was growing as a Christian. He was going on mission trips. He was supporting the spiritual leaders of that day. But there was a time in Acts chapter 15 when John Mark stumbled. He had been with Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey, and for some reason, he just quit. He just left. We aren't told why, all we can do is speculate. He may have just 
gotten tired. Travel wasn't as easy back then as it is today. You, you can get on a plane now in New York and be in California in a couple of hours. It wasn't that way back then. Travel was difficult, and he may have gotten tired of that. He may have gotten homesick. I mean, he was just a young man. I don't know how long he had been gone, but he might have gotten homesick and just gone back home. But he may have had doubts also, being a young Christian. We don't know, but we do know that later on he changed his mind. We do know that he decided he wanted to go on another mission trip, but Paul said no. He wouldn't go with him. And it caused a, a friction between uh, Paul and Barnabas. And for a short term, they were separated. And, and Paul took Cyrus and, and went on a second missionary journey. And Paul, or Barnabas, took John Mark. And the point is, Barnabas felt like John Mark deserved a second chance. Barnabas saw the good in John Mark. Instead of just saying, no, you know, you messed up, this is it, you had your chance, no more. He didn't do that. He took him by the hand and he led him. He was an encourager. He knew that John Mark had failed the first time around, but he believed he deserved a second chance. And as a result of Barnabas's efforts, Mark became a leader in the early church. And even Paul recognized that. Over in 2 Timothy, he, may, he tells Timothy to come to him as, as soon as he can. He said, because only Mark is with me, and get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in ministry. Even Paul realized that Mark had changed. But not only did Paul benefit from Mark's ministry, but you and I have too, because Mark wrote the book of Mark. And so we've all benefited. But if it hadn't been for Barnabas, again, God could raise somebody else up. But Barnabas had a real part in this ministry and restoring John Mark for whatever reason he left the ministry or left the uh, missionary trip. Barnabas saw good and he encouraged him. The church today needs people like Barnabas. We need people who will make their mission in life to encourage those who need to be encouraged. And they're all around us, folks. Can I get real personal this morning and tell you about the greatest encourager that has been in my lifetime? It was my mother. My mother was adopted when she was just a baby, and she was adopted into a very abusive situation, a very abusive home. She married my dad when she was 15 and left one abusive home to an even worse abusive place. And after uh, they had seven children, I was just a little boy, and my dad left my mom and the seven children and never looked back. I mean, he just gone. And my mother was determined at that point that she was going to make sure that we had a home and that we stayed together. And one thing my mother did throughout my years of growing up was she made sure we went to church. Wherever, wherever we lived, if there was a church close enough to walk to, we walked. And sometimes it wasn't real uh, close, but we walked because we didn't have a car. And so she didn't get to go a whole lot, 
because she was trying to make a living for the seven children and with a third grade education, there wasn't a whole lot she could do. And so she didn't get to go to church a whole lot, but the, almost immediately when all seven of us left home and she was by herself, she got so involved in church and it was until the day she died. And when, with a third grade education, there were so many things that she could not do. Uh, she knew she couldn't teach a class. She couldn't do a lot of things that they had. But one thing she had experience with, with having seven children, she could work with children. And so she, the first thing she did was work in the nursery. And when those young parents would bring those screaming babies who felt like they were getting left for life, you know, being deserted, my mother would take them and love on them and rock them and, and calm them down. And she did that for a while, and then she started, as they grew, she started working in the children's church, and she would help them. And she became granny to these children, and, and they started growing up and having children of their own, and she was still granny, and their children were granny. And when my mother died, well, uh, she had one other ministry, let me tell you about that. She uh, was a card sender, and not just for birthdays and anniversaries, but if she knew anybody, whether it was in the community, in her church, her family, or whatever, she would send a card and say, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I love you, and God loves you too. And there's no telling how many thousands of cards my mother sent uh, during those years. And I told them a couple of Sundays ago, if, if you want to make my mother happy, give her a book of stamps and a box of all-purpose cards, and she was in hog heaven. I mean, that was, that was her thing. And she sent so many cards. And when she died, those, those little babies that she rocked in the nursery, and now they're grown and got families of their own, uh, they wanted to do something for her. And so they started raising money. They wanted to do something to memorialize my mom. And so they, those young couples started raising money. That got the children who were, all, who were still there excited. They started raising money. The women's group, the men's group. After a while, the whole church was working on raising money to do something uh, in memory of my mother. And what they wanted to do was build a state-of-the-art playground for the children in that church and the children in the community and name it. My mother's name was Annie, and they wanted to name it Annie's Angels Playground. And the Sunday they dedicated it, they invited all seven children and our families, and, and a lot of us were able to go, a lot weren't, but there were several of us there. And the pastor gave opportunity for people in the congregation to stand and say something that my mother meant to them. And person after person stood, and they might read a card that my mother sent, or they would tell about a card that my mother sent. At a time when they needed somebody, they needed to know that that somebody cared and they'd go to the mailbox and there'd be a card from Granny. There were two people I still remember that day, these two. I don't know how many spoke, but there was a young man stood up. He had his two little boys and his wife sitting beside him. And he talked about when I was a teenager, I was headed in the wrong direction. And Granny started sending me cards. And she'd say, God has better plans for you than what you're doing. You need to pray and ask God to show you his plan for your life. God loves you, and I love you. 
And he talked about how those cards made a difference in his life and made him uh, had a lot to do with the kind of person he ended up being as an adult. A young lady, a young mother stood up and she said, when I was a little girl, my mom had twins and I was a little girl and I just felt left out because the twins got all the attention. And I just didn't feel like anybody loved me, she said, but granny would see me standing in the corner and she'd go get me and she'd love on me and tell me how special I was. And she'd tell me that God loved her and I love you too. And she said that helped me through the most difficult time of my life. And just person after person made comments like this. And you know the thing is, my mom never realized the impact that she had on so many people. But my mom was, was just a poor lady with a third grade education and she impacted so many lives just by being an encourager. And we can all do that. Being an encourager doesn't cost you a dime, but there are people all around us who need encouraging. And hurriedly, I wanna look at four, four groups of people and you can add a whole lot to these, but four groups of people that all of us can encourage. First of all, we can encourage those who are hurting. It's possible that there are people sitting right here in our congregation this morning who are hurting. You may not know what's going on in their life, you may, but they need encouragement. We can encourage each other whether we know they've got a problem or not. Let them know you love them, let them know you are praying for them. But there are a lot of hurting people today. Some people hide it better than, other, better than others, but we need to encourage each other. Someone said that we ought to be kind to everybody, we ought to encourage everybody because everybody's having a hard time. And at some point in our lives, that's gonna happen. We're all gonna face some hard times. And that's never been true, more true than it is today. Some people are hurting because of some sickness, some illness. We heard some of those things as, as during the prayer request. Some people are hurting because someone they love is suffering physically or they have died or are dying and they're hurting because there's nothing they can do about it. Some people are hurting because of a troubled or broken relationship. Do you know that over 50% of all marriages today end in divorce? That includes saved couples and unsaved couples. And I read just yesterday that 76% of all second marriages end in divorce. That, that, I didn't realize that, but 76% of all second marriages end in divorce. So people are suffering today and hurting today because of broken relationships and we need to encourage them. Some people are hurting today because of family members that are out of the will of the Lord and, and we wanna see them saved. Then there are those who are hurting because they're struggling financially. I mean, this is difficult days we're living in. Some people are hurting because of something that somebody said to them or did to them. All kinds of reasons that cause us to hurt. And we need somebody to come alongside us and say, I know you're hurting and I'm here for you. I love you and I'm praying for you. So there are a lot of things that can cause us to hurt. I've heard people though, when we see people going through a rough time and you've probably heard it too, people say they're just getting what they deserve or what goes around comes around. As Christians, that ought not to be our attitude. Even if somebody who's done us wrong, if they're hurting, we need to at least pray for them and, and encourage them, they need us. As Christians, let's be encouragers.
People are hurting, and we need to encourage them. The second group of people we can encourage are people who are lonely. You know, you can be in a crowded room and still be lonely. And people are lonely that we all know that are by themselves and, and need somebody to say, you know, I'm here for you. We can encourage them. For about 10 years, Ida and I had the privilege of having her great aunt or her aunt to live with us uh, when her husband had died and she didn't have anybody else. And we moved in with us. And a few years later, if she died, we had her mother for about 11 years. But both of them reached a point when their doctor said, you can't do it anymore. They've got to have 24-hour day care and medical care that you can't give them. And so we both, we, both times we found just excellent uh, assisted living places for them. And they both loved it. They were never a problem for it. But one of the things that bothered both of us from day one was when we would go visit, there were always some people who never had a visitor. They were just taken and it was like they were left there to be on their own. And I thought we became friends with Richard, the guy that was the uh, director of the first place or the place her aunt was at. And I talked to him and I said, I just don't understand this. And he said, it's easy to, to get the wrong idea. He said, most people, it's not that they brought them here just to leave them and get them out of their head, hands. He said, it's that it's too hard on them emotionally to come and see their parents like this. And that may be true, but that's not saying a whole lot about helping that one who's sitting here lonely, you know. And so we made a point that we tried to talk to or speak to whoever was there. And, uh, but people are lonely, but not just in uh, nursing homes. We have neighbors that are by themselves and go for days without anybody. Uh, we have people all around us who are lonely. And like I said, some can be lonely in a crowded room, and we need to encourage them. We need to encourage people who come through these doors here uh, because they may be lonely. That may be why they come through these doors. They need somebody as a support system, and we need to make sure that any time a visitor comes through those doors, they leave here knowing they've got a group of people that cares about them and encourages them. So we need to encourage those that are lonely. And I believe that's what Paul was talking about in Philippians 2, 4, when he said, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. We need to be concerned about those round about us. The next third group that I think we need to encourage are people with doubts. There are people who have doubts from time to time, and we need to encourage them. We need to, uh, we have people who, question their faith, something happens in their life that causes them, you know, just to wonder what, what is this all about and have I really made my peace with God? When our young people go off to college many times, they're bombarded with things that are contrary to what they've been taught and believed all their life and they've got to make a choice. Do I go this way or this way? Our young people in schools today are being taught things, are faced with things that are contrary to what they've been taught and taught in uh, church. So we need to encourage those uh, who are having problems with what to believe and encourage them when the doubts come. Sometimes doubts come because of a tragedy that's happened in our lives. I remember when I graduated from college in North Carolina, 
I taught for one semester and then we moved back to our hometown. And by then my mother uh, had really gotten involved in church. So to support her and encourage her, we went to the same church that she did. And there was a young couple, Chris was just uh, two or three months old then, and uh, a young couple joined the church the same time we did that had, I think it was a little girl, uh, but it wasn't yesterday, so I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, they joined the same time, and they lived just around the corner from the church. And one day, the husband, the young man, got up, he got dressed, he went to work, and uh, worked all day, he came home, and he walked in the door and he immediately knew something wasn't right. The, the, he didn't smell the supper on the stove. He didn't see his child or his wife. Uh, and so he went on back to the bedroom and his, his wife was laying across the bed dead. She had had a seizure and there was nobody there to help her. And Ida and I went over to the house where the family was either that night or the next night and the pastor, our pastor at that time, and the young man, the, the husband, and two or three other men in the church were standing in the middle of the floor, and I, and I just joined them. And the, the young man was standing there just brokenhearted, and he kept saying, if there's a God, how did he let this happen? If your God is the God of love, how did he let my wife die, uh, leave my baby motherless? And he was just torn up and just really grieving and having doubts, even that there was a God. And our preacher, Mr. L.E. Godwin, I used to think he was old, but I'm probably older than he was at that time, but I thought he was ancient back then. But anyway, he uh, reached his arm around uh, this young man and he said, I don't have all the answers. He said, but I can tell you where, Jesus, where God was when your wife died. God was in the same place he was when his son died. He was right there beside her to welcome her home. He said, he's going to help you through this. He said, he, I said, I know it's going to be hard, but he's going to help you. And not only him, but all these people you see around here are going to help you through that. And folks, there are people like that all over whose tragedies have happened in their life that make them wonder, God, where are you? If you're here, how could this happen? And we need to encourage them. We need to let them know that God loves them. And we've got a good example in the scriptures of someone who had doubts. Doubting Thomas, remember him? We remember that when uh, Jesus, when the disciples told Thomas that Jesus was alive, he didn't believe it. And he said, I, not only do I don't believe it, I'm not going to believe it unless I can see the nail prints in his hand and I can put my hand in his side where they pierced it. Well, the disciples didn't abandon him. They didn't crucify him. They didn't uh, just separate themselves from him. They kept encouraging him. They, they let him be a part of them. He was in their... Uh, group they cared about him they knew that he had doubts but they knew that uh, he needed their help and so they helped him and also Jesus knew Jesus was concerned that Thomas had doubts concerned enough that he came back and met with the apostles again so that Thomas could do 
what he said I've got to do if I'm going to believe. Jesus cared about Thomas. So uh, if he cared, we should too. When somebody is having doubts, we need to help them. Jesus cared and we should care. It's our responsibility as Christians to encourage them and help strengthen their relationship with God. The fourth group that we need to encourage are those who've fallen. Those who've fallen into sin. We aren't usually very good at that. But you know what Jesus said? He said that he didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. When people fall into sin, too many times instead of extending a hand and helping them up, we kick them while they're down. Barnabas didn't do that with John Mark. He encouraged him. He helped him to get back in right relationship. When a person stumbles and falls, we don't need to condemn them and criticize them. Now that doesn't mean we condone their sin. You should never do that. We shouldn't minimize their sin, but we should remind them that the Lord loves them and the Lord will forgive them. Help them to see that. We need to be there to pick them up and put an arm around them and, and encourage them, which is what Paul said in Galatians 6, 1, when he said, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should re restore him gently. Yes, there are a lot of people out there all around us that need encouraging. They may be hurting, they may be lonely, they may be doubting, and they may have fallen. But God can use you and me to help them, to make a difference in their lives, to bring them back in the right relationship. And I ask you this morning, are you willing to be an encourager and not a discourager? Now, I repeat the same question I asked you at the beginning this morning. Are you an encourager? We all ought to be. We ought to all look uh, as someone said, and Sunday, it was amazing to me how Sunday school and all tied in together today. The Lord has a way of doing that. And, uh, but we ought to look for someone this week, just make a point that we're going to encourage somebody. It may be our next door neighbor. It may be the, the clerk that's checking us out at the grocery store. Anyone that we come in contact with, we can give a word of encouragement. Let's be encouragers and not discouragers.